Namaste. Welcome to Call and Response Podcasts with Krishnadas, where he shares meaningful stories of his life on the path, of his Guru Maharaji, and integrating spiritual practice into our everyday lives. Call and Response Podcasts is an offering of the Kirtanwala Foundation. The foundation is dedicated to spreading the teachings of Neem Karoli Baba, a great spiritual teacher of India. If you are interested in supporting this podcast and the work of the foundation, please visit kirtanwalafoundation.org K-I-R-T-A-N-W-A-L-L-A-H foundation.org So practice, you got to do practice, I'm sorry, you just have to. With our eyes open and our hearts open. But through a practice, you're, you're, you get used to coming back from being gone. It's more like an ability to let go. Hello. Namaste, everybody. How are you doing? Let's take a minute to just calm down and deepen and expand into this heart space that we all share. Everything exists within this vast space, this presence. This is being. Not the verb, but the noun, being. And when we chant, when we repeat the name, we are turning towards this presence. So here is where we are. And why we do practice is to recognize where we truly are which is in our own true being. This is a vast, vast presence inside of which we all live. Everything is within this presence. This presence is eternal and spontaneously present this moment, always. And it's only our thoughts our emotions, our attachments and aversions that block our access to who we truly are. So it all comes back to remembering. At first we remember to remember to look and eventually we actually remember this presence, we re-recognize, we recognize this presence. It's like coming home after being away for a long time. When you first get home, after being away, you fall down on the bed or into a chair and everything lets go and you're just happy to be home. You forget where you've been, you don't think about where you're going, you just relax into yourself. When we do practice, it is not important to be evaluating how we're doing. We're simply planting seeds, so to speak. We don't stand over them to watch and see if they've grown yet. 
we plant the seeds and then we plant another seed and another and then we go about our day and those seeds grow that action of coming home again again and again keeps working on us through the day and the magnetism or the gravity of our true nature becomes more and more real to us all the names that we chant are the names of this place that we live in which we live our own true nature all the different names all the different traditions all the different lineages all the different practices they're only been brought to this world to bring us home so whatever you're attracted to in terms of practice follow that see where it takes you listen to your heart if you don't trust yourself what will you do even if you listen to advice from someone a teacher a yogi a saint whatever you're listening you're evaluating and you're seeing if you relate to that in your own being so if you don't trust your own feelings you'll never be able to trust anything or anyone it's not something that's easy to live in for us at first but because it is true because our hearts do know it's inevitable that as we practice as we live as we learn as our hearts are purified of our attachments and aversions this is where we move into our own self our true self which is the self of all which is the great self of all this vast presence hi there katie first of all i want to thank you very much for the email that you sent me um you probably get hundreds of them so you might not remember but you do um yeah it's it helped soften a very unquiet mind since i left the hospital um from septicemia is what i had but um what 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 you said in the email about ram das and how he felt through those first i think he said two years might not have been um that he just lost all sense of everything um i lost all sense of everything during that time and that feeling of being lost was well it hit me like a train i th- i thought i thought wow i'm pretty spiritual person i thought yeah you know i can <laughs> you know I, it's okay taken in by ambulance you know you give you gas and air and you think you're fine 
but yeah. um, but in fact that wasn't the case at all. And what I'm trying to say is, I'm not asking you a question. I'm putting forward my appreciation for your help in that communication that you gave me over the internet. Um, it was the suffering was was worse when I left the hospital because I thought I'll never get back to this again. I'll never get back into the meditation, the chanting, the, the practice. But your email, it, it gave me hope. And hope is for that I appreciate. Yeah. I appreciate so much what, what you did because, you know, it, I was in a kind of a brain fog. And uh, I've written something down here because um, I still have brain fog. Well, so. we, the, that's why we don't hold on to things, you know. Uh, that's why we practice letting go. Whatever it is we're thinking or imagining or feeling when we do our practice, right? We don't want to get caught in holding on to like a pleasant little peaceful spot and pushing away negativity. What we're training in is letting go. So the next time a big dark cloud comes into your life. Number one, you remember, oh, this is a dark cloud. Didn't this happen? Yeah, this happened like three months ago. Oh, I remember that. And then it was gone. Now it's back. I guess it'll go again. Number two, this is all thought. All the it's things, even, the, even, even, even when you say, I know it'll happen again. Really? You don't know that. You don't know that. But you're, you're polluting this moment with that negative, let's forget the word negative, with that, with that feeling of fear that it's going to happen again. Will I be ready? This is not, these are real feelings and we can't kill them. We can't push them away. But we can be with them in a different way than usual because we know we can be aware okay i'm really stuck in this shit now okay i'm still stuck it's been 32 seconds and i'm still stuck how long is this going to go on etc cetera, etc cetera, right and then something will happen and it'll, it'll dissipate this is life you know and no matter what we're feeling we're here so that's why practice is so important for us. Remembering to come back to the mantra, to the breath, to the name, this develops inner strength and courage also because we see that we can let go. We get the strength to let go. Nothing can grab us and never let go. We can let go. That's the option we have. It's not pushing away, though. You understand that? It's not saying, I don't want this. Get away, get away. Because that's it gets stuck to your hands then. So it's not about pushing away. It's about recognizing we're stuck again. Hello, how are you? You got me, you bastard. I can't believe you came back. Well, enjoy eating me alive because it won't last. And then you, you just naturally, because of the practice you've done, you actually pay le less attention to it. 
You see, it's only when we, we're caught by something that it grabs our attention that we respond. If we're not paying attention, it's like maybe you're watching a movie on television and there's trucks going by the street outside. You don't hear them while you're watching the movie. They're there. They're going by. They're roaring through the street, motorcycles, everything. But you're not aware of it because your attention is on the film, the movie, right? So as you get stronger in practice, you're able to keep your attention on the name, on the mantra, on the breath, on being here. And those clouds that come, they just pass through and they don't grab you the same way because you are not allowing your attention to be sucked up by them. But this only comes through practice. Practice, practice, practice. If you wanna to learn to play an instrument, practice, practice, practice. Like the guy in New York City who gets into a cab uh, walking down the street and he's looking for Carnegie Hall and he says to this, this guy he meets on the street, hey, can you tell me how to get to Carnegie Hall? And the guy goes, practice, practice, practice. So that's the way it is. Keep saying that to yourself. Practice, practice, practice. And whenever you remember that and you're able to sit down for two minutes, not three minutes, just two minutes and settle. Allow yourself to settle like a leaf falling from a tree, gradually, lightly touches the ground. Just try it 20 times a day. Just sit down. Whenever you remember, sit down and just let everything go. Just for a minute. It's a really big thing. And that will change your whole life. Let everything go. All the bullshit you tell yourself about yourself, all the stories, all the fantasies, all the imaginations, all the wants and the don't wants. Just sit down, let it go. Again and again and again for just a minute. Don't try. Let go. Release. Breathe. Just feel the breath. So give it a shot, see what happens. I'll do that. And again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Goodbye. Thank you. How are you doing? Good. I just noticed on some of your video that you posted that your your right pinky finger is slightly yeah. bent. Mm -hmm. And mine is that way too. <laughs> Uh-huh. And I was just curious, it's a silly question. But <laughs> well, first let me ask you, how did that happen to you? How did that happen to me? Um, my yeah. brother stepped on it with an ice skate oh. when I was quite young. Oh. Well, I <laughs> had much more fun doing it. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. I had been uh, Friday night. This is back in 1966. I was on the basketball team at my college. Uh, and on Friday night, I took a thousand micrograms of Sandoz acid. <laughs> and by Sunday morning, like about 36 hours later or more, I guess, I started to come down. And uh, I was lying in bed and I heard this banging on the door downstairs. 
and I just thought it was part of the trip, so I didn't pay attention. But it didn't stop; it kept banging, banging. So I, I felt like a, you know, how, you know how a dirigible floats through the air. You know, it kind of uh-huh. doesn't really move. I kind of <laughs> floated downstairs, and I opened the door, and there's the coach of the basketball team. We had a a game that afternoon in Queens, and I hadn't shown up to get the team bus at the at the the gymnasium. So they came to pick me up. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So I threw some clothes on and the coach walked me out to the bus. He had his arm around me. I mean, he could tell I was out there. I, they just thought I was crazy. Nobody really knew about those acid those days. It was just at the early part of it. So uh, he sat me next to him on the team bus on the way to the game. I had his arm around me. And so some point in the game I was playing, you know, everybody was running around fast and yelling and screaming. I was just doing ballet. <laughs> and at one point I saw the ball coming towards me and I put my hand out like this. Oh. And it hit my finger and it knocked the finger all the way back like that. And I just looked at it and I yeah. banged it back in place. And I finished the game, and uh, they would have had to re-break it to, like, fix it. So I just said, hell with it. It's okay. Yeah. And that's how I got my pinky. Well, that, uh, that's a much better story than mine. Yeah, it was well, a much better story. My, uh, <laughs> my question was related to playing the harmonium, though, because I started uh, playing the harmonium in March. And I was just wondering, have you ever, has it ever interfered with, with the chord? No. Or you've just adjusted no, because I have pretty big hands and I can you see how uh-huh. they're like straight across yeah so I can I can hold down the different notes and play the melody with other notes it, it hasn't really affected of course I'm not a concert harmonium player <laughs> I can play like three chords and you know I mean you know it's not like I couldn't really play the piano as a real you know in a really uh-huh. professional way so well thank you for telling the yeah. story. I was just curious. Yeah. Okay. Take care. Thank you. This is a little difficult to to kind of put into words, but, you know, I've been practicing um, with, with meditation and, 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 you know, I kind of got into this with Buddhist meditation about four to five years ago. And then, you know, kind of broke into the Hindu stuff a few years ago by reading, you know, the, the Gita and the Upanishads. And then that led me to Ram Das. Spirituality is one of those things that I've always kind of halfway, halfway loved and then halfway struggled with. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's very hard sometimes for me to tell if, if what I'm getting into is, is BS or not. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I grew up typical uh, American kid, you know, just went to regular church and then woke up one day and it's like, how can it, how did any of, you know, this stuff just doesn't make sense. And I was a pretty bitter atheist about it for many years. And it was really the, 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 Eastern spirituality that, that brought me out of that. But anyways, long story short, you know, I read all of these stories of you guys talking about Maharaji and um, just all of the amazing stuff that happened around him and all of the stuff he could do. You actually, you guys sent out that free book, Divine Reality. And, you know, when I'm at work in between doing things, I'll, I'll read a little section of it. And it just blows my mind and this may sound silly because I know you guys are like on record for the past 30, 40 years talking about him, but just sitting here 50. 
Yeah, 50 sitting here Close face to, 50, to face yeah. with you just to hear it out of your mouth. I mean, that stuff really every word is, right. Every word is completely true. And even the, everything in those books, everything in those books simply describes like one of his toes. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's no, there's his being is so beyond the beyond, beyond any way of talking about it, yeah. conceptualizing about it. Yeah. It's, you know, this is every, the, the miracles and the stories of how many people he saved and, and, and helped and healed and all that stuff. It's the, it's the tiniest tip of the iceberg. It, yeah. You can't even imagine, no one can imagine because our imaginations are so limited to our own mental concepts and, He's just beyond, inconceivable. Just yeah. no bottom, no end to it. There's no way to ever know him completely. Yeah. And any little bit that we know about him is his actually, by his own grace, allowing us to see a little bit of what we might be able to yeah. uh, digest. To yeah. some, that's all. He's beyond I, the beyond. Yeah, and I get in my last part of this too. Do you think it's possible for people who never met him and were never born in that time frame to have any kind of relationship with that, or is that something we all, should even, you know? Don't you feel him when you read about him? Uh, yeah, then? it cracks me up because I pull this little picture of an old man out at work, and I'm looking at it, and people are probably like, "What the hell is he doing?" And it's they don't understand yeah. you're you're trying to feel God's presence, you know. But. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. Uh, I had a friend named Jean who was a Chinese medical practitioner. She never met Maharaji, but she used to come and sing with me sometimes. She was a good friend. And she got real sick and she turned out she had, uh, she actually went into a, uh, she went into the hospital for kidney transplant, I think, or something like that. And she put Maharaji's picture on the table next to the bed and you know, with the clock and a couple other things. And and then after the surgery, she was in a coma for three days. And when she came out of the coma, the nurse says to her, oh, I'm so happy you, you woke up. What a shame your grandfather's not here to see this. And she said, what, what do you mean, my grandfather? He said, and she points to the picture of Maharaji. And she says, isn't that your grandfather? He sat next to you in the, next to the bed in the chair almost all day, every day, until this morning. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, not only had Jean not ever met him, but the nurse didn't know shit from Shinola about Maharaji or who he was. <laughs> right. So, and you already feel a relationship with him. Why don't you trust that? That would be a good thing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. God bless you, man. You you guys you guys do a lot of good for people. So thank you. Thank you. Take care. The first fifteen days of this month, we were. I spoke to you on the last call. Diriji, uh Diriji, -huh. and your beautiful sister Champa. And they are crazy people for you. They are so emotional for you. Uh, I felt more uh, welcome than even at my own place. I don't feel that much respected. I feel that much respect 
just by taking your name that krishna uh, asked me to say hello to you and she said no come to our place have tea with us and he introduced me to everyone he showed me your room maharaj ji's room and all your stories whatever you do with them <laughs> so and yeah. his daughter is getting married on 20th of november samajh gaya so yeah i know all right i have his email i have his whatsapp uh, i think and i can uh, i'll just drop him a note he invited me i think it was supposed to be last year or no. either that or it was another daughter he's got so many of them i don't know so many kids i don't know what's going on there's such good people there their father was my friend champa's husband was my friend bhairav was his name yeah and he was really a great devotee of maharaji and after maharaji left the body uh that next he left maharaj left about in september the next february bhairav was going to uh he asked siddhima he said he wanted to go to jageshwar which is further up in the hills it's a famous very sacred site for shiva he wanted to go there to do shiva puja on shivratri and siddhima said no don't go stay in kenchi and do your puja here but he went and he stepped on a rusty nail and he died of tetanus so that was just in the february right after uh, so i've been he was my friend and, and they had a girish and there's have an older brother had an older brother who was such a joy he was one of the most beautiful beings i've ever met you know and uh he died also in the probably the late 70s or early 80s you know they don't go to doctors and stuff they just he had problems with his stomach and he just died so wonderful people though and champa she's incredible she's she raised that whole family by herself she took care of them they had nothing they had nothing they were dirt poor and she you know, she kept the family together they and she you know it was amazing and now you know at one point they asked Siddhima if they could make a little lemonade stand right next to the entrance you know and Ma said okay so they did and from that they made money and then they opened that restaurant and then this and that and they rebuilt the house so all through Maharaji's blessings they they they've accomplished so much and it was all her Champa just absolutely and ps she was the most beautiful woman in the kumaon hills i mean <laughs> i couldn't i fantasized about her my whole life when i was in those days <laughs> i'd be sitting in the in the yug you know in the the haban in the david puja and she would come and i i i kept looking over and you know i was so devoted to her you know <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. uh wonderful wonderful people and uh, i i always go to eat at their house when i'm there and they're just uh, good good people good people i don't have a question today praise the lord <laughs> <laughs> but uh if you would like will you share any your most favorite stories of siddhima any one of them any memory that's always with you Jao. Jao. Next time we give somebody else some time. Jao. Okay, Thank, okay. okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.
Hello, hello again from Tanzania again. <laughs> ah, wow, 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 great. So, last time we talked about the finding a uh, guru in India and about finding uh, that, that my, my experience, I didn't find one specific person, but I learned and grew a lot through different uh, lots of people. And my question is, uh, first, why do people change their names when they find a guru? Because of course, I would love to change my name to, to have an Indian name. And why do they change? And uh, I can understand the first names. All right, Krishna, Ram. What about the last name? Why, why is it Krishna Das? Das means servant. Oh. And my lineage, our lineage is, is the lineage of Hanuman, who is Ram Das, the servant of Ram. So, oh. and Maharaji, first of all, it, it's not really, Westerners do anything they want, but it's not traditional that you change your own name. What happens is the guru will 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 give you an, a, a spiritual name. In, in some cases in India, they even Indian people get a different name, but not that often because they already everything's got there. You go Durga Insurance Company, Krishna Travel Company, uh, mm -hmm. Sri Ram Gas Gas Station. Everything is Ram and you know, there. So they don't usually get their name changed unless they become sannyasis. Or where they take an initiation and they're given a new name, a spiritual name, a name of their, a name of who they're going to become from, from, from Jeff from Long Island is going to become the servant of Krishna when he finally figures out what's going on. So okay. it's a name given by your guru usually, but like everything else, uh, nothing is cut and dried. Uh, some people give themselves their own, give themselves names, and you know that's nice. It's a nice aspiration, but it's a little different when your guru gives you a name because oh, he sees you, he sees all your karmas, he sees who you are, and he gives you a name that uh, is in line with your your karmic situation. Yeah, and uh, what was the first thing you asked? You asked something before the. Yes, because so, uh, I thought that only by meeting a guru in person that yeah. you could change your name, but well, not really. The, traditionally, that's that's it accurate. That's like the way it should be. But like these days, everybody thinks that they're God anyway, so they do whatever the fuck <laughs> they want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the problem is they only think they're God. If they knew they were God, that would be different. So, but... But it's not, a name is just a name after all. Uh -huh. And who you are has no name. The, your true being is beyond names and forms and any kind of thoughts. So the, a name, a spiritual name is like an aspiration, but it's, it doesn't really, uh, it's not who you are, you're beyond that. So I don't think, you don't need to be, changing the outside it's just another that would be like changing your clothes you know and uh -huh. there's no reason to do that your clothes are just fine you know you don't need to 
that's just a superficial thing, basically. But people get very attached to it and very identified with it. And so that can be good. That can be problematic also. So find out who you are. And then you'll know your true name, which is good. Right? Right. I, I think it sounds like it um, reflects a little bit the, the path you are supposed to follow. Like it, it, it has a, a, a great responsibility with it. It's like a reminder. Um, it, it, it could be, but you don't know your path because you don't know who you are. So why mm -hmm. name yourself uh, this if you're really that? I mean, not no. that it's going to matter really because you did it and anything we do with selfish motivation is, you know, just, uh, just more selfishness, self-centeredness, yes. egoistic action. So it's okay. You won't, it's not like you're going to, uh, you know, suffer for that, but it's no, it's not necessarily of any use to you. Yeah. No, but, I meant more like, like a, in your case, like we're named. I, yeah. Yeah. Then, then yes. I don't think yeah. it makes sense. You're changing your name by yourself. You wake up and oh, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. going to the yeah. Doesn't sound good. Yeah. Well, for instance, so, so uh, Mah Ramdas had bought this Volkswagen van from some other Westerners, and we drove it all around India. And then at one point, Maharaji said to Ramdas, "Ramdas, you're a saint. You can't touch money, and you shouldn't drive the van. Give him the keys." So. Maharaji gave, took the keys and gave them to me. And from that point on, my name for about six months was Driver. <laughs> That's what he called me, Driver. Driver, come here. Driver, go get the car. Driver, do this. Driver, go do that. So one day he called me into his room and he looks at me and he says, Arjun, nay, Krishna, nay, Krishna Das. And I said, Krishna Das? What is this Krishna stuff? I'm a Hanuman guy. I'm a Ram guy. Maharaji laughed. He said, don't worry, don't worry. He said, Hanumanji served Krishna too. All right. And it's funny, I found a story much later about in the Mahabharata. You know what that is, the Mahabharata? Yes. Mm -hmm. So there's a story. So before the big war is about to start, no, 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 after the war is over, uh, Krishna has been acting as Arjuna's charioteer. He's been driving his chariot, you know, when they fought in chariots with horses and, you know. So Krishna was acting as the charioteer. And so every day after the battles were over, Krishna would get down from the chariot and he would offer his hand to Arjun and help him down off the chariot. So the, after the war was over, they drove the chariot to this place and Krishna says, today is different. Today, you get off the chariot first and run as far and as fast away as you can. So Arjun gets down and he runs away. Krishna steps off the chariot. And when Krishna stepped off the chariot, there was a flag on the chariot. I believe it was a white flag with the outline of a red monkey uh -huh. on the flag. When Krishna stepped off the chariot, the monkey flew out of the flag and up, disappeared into the sky and the chariot exploded in a thousand pieces. And Krishna said to Arjun, didn't you ever wonder that wh why all through the war you never had to get a new chariot, whereas the chariots of all the other warriors were destroyed. They had to replace them. He said, Hanuman, 
absorbed all the missiles, all the weapons thrown at your chariot all through the war. He absorbed it in himself. So you didn't, you didn't have that. So there you go. That's very nice. It's a nice story. Yeah. Well, thank okay. you. <laughs> very good. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Hi, Krishnadas. Hi, everybody. Hello. Um, actually, I was um, excited that that guy asked the question about Sydney Ma because I didn't have to ask it. Ah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was just, I had been curious about her and um, just you and just the way it all weaves together. And uh, I don't know, it's, it's fun to hear you talk about different yeah. people. And I was curious about, um, you know, maybe just at this moment what what do you what would you what would you be able to share with us about you know i always feel her, a little like if she was right yeah. here right now like I if she know. was right here right now i'd be down on my face on the ground holding her feet <laughs> <laughs> what do you think she would i don't know i, I mean i don't know <laughs> um, yeah no it's very hard for me to talk about ma because she didn't want publicity. She didn't want to be talked about. She didn't want any fame. She didn't want people coming unnecessarily out of curiosity. She didn't want a big scene around her. It it was big enough already. I mean, people came from everywhere to be with her and see her. And she carried on Maharaja's tradition and, and people would come and stay in the temple to be and spend time with her over all the years. And one of the things Maharaji had said to her is that when it, before he died, he just just one day happened to say, you know, when a saint dies, his ashram becomes his body. So she treated the temple, uh, Kenchi and Bhumidhar and Hanumangar were the three temples in that area. She treated those temples as if they were Maharaji's body. They were kept spotless. They were... It was very difficult. To, it's a lot of work to keep the puja going and keep it uh, done in the right way and keep the place clean. You could eat off of the floor anywhere in the temple. I mean, it was so spotless and, and she treated it as Maharaji's body. She was completely immersed in Maharaji. Uh, I remember we were gonna go to Bhageshwar when, not Bhageshwar, Badrinath which is a very long trip into the mountains, into the highest. The, the bottom of the valley is 10,000 feet, but the peaks around the valley are 15, 16,000 feet high. And so it's a very dangerous trip because the roads are bad and there's a thousand foot drops, like one foot away from the, off the road, you know, so, and there's landslides and everything, avalanches and so we were going, and so she said, okay, when you go, make sure you sing Hanuman Chalisa all, oh, never mind, you're covered. <laughs> so I could just see Maharaji going, ah, they're covered, leave them alone, don't tell them to do things like that. I mean, you could feel that. She just, she was talking to her, she said, now you remember Hanuman, do Hanuman, okay, never mind, like that. So she was, uh, Incredible. And I don't know if you've heard of this uh, Saint Anandamaima, who left the body, I think, in the 80s. 
She was the great, great saint in India, woman saint, and very had tens of thousands of devotees everywhere. She's very, very great high being. And she and Maharaja knew each other very well. Ananda Maima, at one point when Siddhima was, uh, her husband was still alive and she was married when she was younger, first married. In those days in India, married women didn't come out in public by themselves. They stayed home, you know. So Ananda Maima used to come to KK's house and come upstairs and visit with KK's family and then go up to the kitchen, climb up onto the roof and walk across the roof because two buildings down, they're all connected. Two houses down was Siddhima's husband's house. And so she would walk across the roof and come down into the kitchen and hang out with Siddhima all day. And then she would leave the same way because she wasn't, couldn't go into the house directly. So Ma was just, I, in some ways she hid herself even more than Maharaji hid himself. People just, she didn't want any attention. She didn't claim any, uh, any responsibility for, she, people she, people would come and say, Ma, help me. She said, just pray to Maharaji, you know? She was completely immersed in him all the time. And uh, yeah, she, and she was so kind to us, to the Westerners. She really, she, she knew we were crazy and she never judged us. She never told us to be this or that, you know? She really just let us be our stupid selves. And, you know, now I'm paying for it. I would have liked it if, she, but the problem is she knew that we weren't capable of changing, so she never tried to change us. You know, it was really amazing. Uh, just so wonderful to be with her, and, and um, yeah, whenever I had a real problem, I would talk to her about it, and she, she was just extraordinary. You know, she, she didn't necessarily give you answers uh, on the with words, but everything would change, you know, little by little. She was, uh, she saved my life twice, completely, totally, absolutely, literally saved my life twice over the years. Once in 80, what was it? 84 and 83 maybe, and, and again in 1995. Totally, absolutely changed my life. Wouldn't have made it if she hadn't been around. I, I had sunk and I wasn't getting back. So she, because of her and being in a body, it's what I, I needed that, you know, otherwise I just would have destroyed myself. There's, there's some stories about her in, uh, one of the devotees of Maharaji wrote a book, Rabu Joshi is his name. And it's called My Father and I Are One, I think. There's a bunch of stories, you know, she, she didn't want to be talked about, she wanted to be written about. But one of these old devotees of Maharaji, who was also very close with Ma, wrote a bunch of stuff about her. And they, you know, they just, she just threw her hands up, like, what can I do? I told him not to do it, he did it. What am I going to do? That's about as much of a reaction as she got. So there's a bunch of really cool stories about her in that book. 
Well, it sure. It's just nice. Thank you for, thank you for sharing. And I mean, I, it, it's, it is all the, the presence of her and him and everything. And her answer, it sounds like was just sing to him and mm-hmm. keep doing the Chalisa, Chalisa. <laughs> oh, Absolutely. you're doing it anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah. No. But. Yeah. She, and not only that, no, no, it wasn't that you're doing it anyway. It's that uh-huh. you're covered. I got you're you covered. covered. Don't worry about it. They don't have to do anything like that. <laughs> I got them covered. What's wrong with you? Go away. You know, go, go to Bhagavan. You know, so that was the feeling. You know, Ma, Ma used to tell us, you know, sometimes she would say, okay, do this. But then Maharaji would say, come on, I got, they're covered. You know, so it was interesting. Different. And also in, for, in India, for a woman, certain behaviors are not really accepted or easily. So because she was a woman and chose to act that way in, in accordance with the social customs, she never put herself out forward. Like the temple has, there's a, uh, a temple trust, which is a bunch of these devotees. They're all, I think all men, except for Jaya, who was Siddhima's very close disciple. They kind of ran the temple, made the rules, etc. And Ma, of course, was the final word, but she never interfered publicly with that. She let them do their thing, basically, and acted like she was just another woman who didn't have any say. But everybody knew that was just not really the case. She was the bottom line. If she really didn't, if they did something that wasn't really appropriate, she would let them know. But she she chose to hide herself inside the social customs where a woman is in India pretty much suppressed in many ways. So even though she was as great a saint that ever had ever walked the earth, she acted like she was, you know, just like, you know, another, you know, devotee of Maharaji. So she hid herself that way. So there you thank go. you. Ram Ram. Ram Ram. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Christmas. Pretty good. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you. Actually, I wanted to share an experience with you that happened to me like uh, maybe like about a month ago and and know your point of view on it. So I usually, uh, while I'm driving, I usually uh, chant Hanuman Chalice along with your chant that I put it on the stereo. And this one afternoon, I was... uh, chanting along with you while driving. And uh, when the verse, the verse, Tumari Vajana Ramakopave, Janama Janama Kedukha Vishrave, when that verse came and I was singing along with you, I just uh, busted out crying like a, like a heartbroken child. And I, I didn't have any reason uh, to cry. Uh, I didn't know why I was crying. In the beginning, I tried to stop it, but uh, later I said, I'll just cry. And I, I cried for like a pretty 10, 15 minutes after that. But I, I, I don't know why I was crying, though. I think you do. Yeah. It may not be a... Th- a conceptual understanding, but I think you know what you were feeling. And mm-hmm. there's no reason to even evaluate it in any way other than to be with that feeling. 
Right. You don't have to yeah. understand it with your mind. It didn't come from your mind. Yeah. Yeah, it, it kind of felt like it was like a heartbroken cry, but yeah, it, I kind of felt relief after that. Yeah. Many things happen when you do, when you do practices and when you turn towards that, that place, whether you call it God or Ram or Hanuman or yourself, many things happen and uh, a lot of energy that might be blocked or painful energy can be released and um, and also tears can uh, can wash the the mirror of the heart also I would if I were you I would not spend any time thinking about it but I would sit with that feeling that the, the essence of the feeling you had. Uh, the tears might have been part of a response of feeling connected to something that you didn't, you're not aware of in your rational mind. Because you know what the words mean of that verse, you know, but through, through, through singing your remembering you, one gets Ram. And Janam Janamike Dukabisara, the suffering of many thousands of lifetimes are removed. So part of your experience was touching a place in you that you're not aware of most of the time, that we're not aware of, not just you, most of us. And that's exactly the way practice works. It's not conceptual, it's not rational. It's way beyond that. And that's a good experience. And a deep experience is definitely an opening. And when we open, we release lots of stuff. Some of it's sadness, some, sometimes it's joy. There's no, we don't know exactly what it is, but whenever I come into, con whenever I feel that love, and that presence, I cry. That's that's the first thing I do. That's what happens. What else can you do when you when that part of you touches that beauty and the love that's that is here, available for us all the time because it lives within us? What else can we do except cry? There's no other option really. And they're not tears of sadness, and it's not tears of happiness necessarily either. It's the tears of this connecting with something so deep and so real and so so ancient within us. So keep singing. Thank you. And I have one more question. Yeah, so uh, in Hanuman Chalisa, there's a verse where it says like, uh, it's good if you repeat Hanuman Chalisa for like seven times. Shot, hundred times. Yeah. Oh. Hundred, hundred oh. times. If it was seven times, everybody would be fucking enlightened. Oh, okay. It's, it's a hundred times and you do it 108 times is what we were told. There are oh. people saying everything. They say Sat means seven times and that is not accurate. 
as far as my understanding. Everybody I met in the old days, Maharaji's people, Maharaji's devotees, they all said 108 times. That's practice. That's tapasya. That's, that's, that creates a charge in you. Seven times you can do like while you're on the toilet. You can do it in commercials between, between the shows on television. It's nothing. No, it's not nothing. It's good. Every repetition of every word in the Shalisa is good. But, if, but there is a specific practice. It's a tapasya. It's a, it's a hard practice of doing, of asking for a boon. You ask for what you want. And then you, you have a puja, you, some fruit, picture of Hanuman or Maharaji or whoever you, 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 you worship or love. And then you do the, the chalisa 108 times. And then you'll get that boon. It might not walk in your door the next minute, but you ask for it, you will get it. If it's the best thing for you. Because it, like, it's, like it says, and I mean, if you ask for a million dollars and Maharaji knows that you're going to spend that on cocaine and kill yourself, <laughs> he's not going to give it to you. Okay. Right? Yes. So... Uh, so uh, you ask for the boon and then you do 108 times and then that's it you've done you've done it you've requested blessings and then you've created the energy around that request and and you will get that boon in one way or another if it's the best thing for you when it's the right for you to have it or not everything can happen right away you know i mean we think we're used to instant gratification we we turn on our computers and we can find anything we want on the internet etc etc but if you ask for real devotion uh you're not ready for that it would fry you alive it'd burn every circuit out of your body so if you ask for that that you will get it and he will have he will find a way to prepare you for that because that's what you want. That doesn't mean it's going to happen right away. The boon I asked for is still ripening, and I can feel it happening in its own time. And uh, one time, Maharaji, every once in a while, would, would just, out of the blue, he'd turn to somebody and go, what do you want? Like that, right? And I'd seen him do it with people. So I had my answer ready. I kept it with me my, in my mind. If, if he ever said that to me, I know what I'm going to say. So one day we're sitting around, he goes, looks at me and goes, what do you want? And I said, prema bhakti, which is, means ecstatic devotion, you know, blissful, crazy, mad, insane devotion of love. And he went, oh, he said, not right now, later, later. <laughs> That's the way it is. But asking is a big thing because not only that, you it crystallizes something in you too. Because if you want something and then you you spend a certain amount of energy manifesting that desire, that add that increases that you know that gives energy to that and gives it direction and strength 
and power. So it's all, it's a good practice. And it's up to you to ask what's important enough for you or not. You can ask for a new car, but, uh, or ask for somebody to, you know, trim that beard when you're not looking, <laughs> that would be good. So, but you know, it's up to us to figure out what it, I, I always, I took it very seriously and I, I just thought I should ask what I really want, even if I can't even imagine how that could ever happen for me. That's, that's kind of the way I approached it. But I know other people who ask for, you know, other things. It's okay. You have to be you, whatever you feel is important for you. So, you know, at first, the first time I did it, I think it took me like 13 hours to do the 108 releases because I had just kind of learned it. And I was reading it, you know, I didn't really know it by heart. Now I can do in over, a little over four hours or less if I really rush. But the idea is to do it with some apparent, some attention and some devotion and some not mechanical. One time uh, when I was staying in Kenshi sometime in the, maybe it was the 90s, uh, Siddhima went away for the day. And so I decided to do, it was Tuesday, so I decided to do 108 chalices. So I did the 108 chalices, and I was standing in the courtyard later when she came back into the temple, and she walked into the courtyard, and she looked at me and she said, when you do the Hanuman chalices, you should not do it mechanically. And then she went in the room. And yeah, I had done it totally mechanically, as fast as I could, with basically no feeling at all. But, you know. What are you going to do? So she knew it. So she just said that to me. So yeah, a hundred times, shot, not sat. And I, I saw that some woman, astrologer, who goes to the Hanuman. Where are you talking from? I'm talking Baltimore, Maryland. Uh huh. Well, that's near India. Yeah. Okay. So there was some temple <laughs> just outside of Delhi. Maharaji has a temple in Meroli. And uh, there was some woman who went there and spoke to the guy there who I knew very well. He died recently. And he told her that she could do seven, seven times would get her what she wants. But that's not the way it really came down from Maharaji's time. It was more. So I was going to write to her on YouTube, but I, I didn't. I should mind my own business. It's <laughs> stupid enough, my business. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Namaste. Hi, KD. Namaste. Ram Ram. So, I am from the place uh, near my mom's place is Ayodhya. Oh, where, very nice. Yeah. So, where exactly this Ram, Ram Charit Manas and Hanuman Chalisa was written. And our native yeah. language is a kind of Avadi in which this. Yeah, yeah, dialect of the Sanskrit. So I was reading this. Uh, I think it is the kind of a very first uh, uh, spiritual practices with uh, which I got since my childhood. I remember the Hanuman Chalisa. I was reading it. I know some meaning also. I have some understanding. But uh, I started listening to your talks. And now I almost have uh, completed all of your uh, podcast and almost all, all of your interviews. I started uh, chanting Hanuman Chalisa again. I started I stopped initially. I, I learned it, then I stopped it because I started doing yoga. When you start doing a lot of yoga, then you go to big, big books. And then you, oh, the Hanuman Chalisa might be not a now my thing. Then, because 
i think then the ego arises but sudden certain point of time i think because of the grace of maharaj ji then yeah. i i i got some understanding then okay. one day was you are explaining something it hit me because then that day i realized the real or not realize i think i got experience what is the meaning first meaning of the first line of hanuman chalisa that is the shri guru charan saroj raj and at that day i it was the realization this is the most important line of the hanuman chalisa the day you get i think that's whole 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 universe or whole hanuman chalisa revealed to you so i think it was a really great realization till since childhood i was reading but that day when you were explaining suddenly it like it came here that day i got oh my god that experience was really amazing that experience yeah. was Yeah. and thanks i think it's it's his grace i heard that podcast and i got it clear yeah yeah thanks thanks there's there was a, a great saint who, who said that the the charanamrit from the feet of the guru is pure consciousness yes. pure being and so remember it says to clean the mirror of my heart i take the dust the pollen like dust from the lotus feet the lotus pollen yeah to clean the mirror of my heart why do we clean the mirror of our heart and when what happens when we clean the mirror of our heart what's reflected the pure reflection no longer the dust the dirt the distortion the colors the shapes that are distorted because of the dirt on the mirror when the mirror is clean what we what is what what is it it reflects purely the truth our true nature which is the blessings of the guru and ultimately not different you know because the guru's work is not over until we recognize the oneness the yes. unity of it all so you're right that's the most important line because without devotion we never get anything and devotion can mean very different things it can be uh you can be very devoted to many different types of things you know you can be uh committed or sincere about many different things but in the spiritual practice without that sense of commitment and devote devotion and without that sense of recognizing the grace you know it, it you know it becomes mechanical so that's why we talk about devotion because devotion gives us that concentration it gives us that awareness it gives us a, like a uh what do they call it a like a radar beam it shows us where to go where to where to look where to turn where to bow where to open where to surrender but on the other hand we can't manipulate that Yeah. We don't create that devotion or that love. Which is why Maharaj always said, do these practices whether you feel love or not. Whether you're tired, whether you're angry, whether you're this, whether you're that, because if you don't do, then what? So, even if we're not feeling, you know, spiritually high, you know, we have to still do the practice because it ripens us in a way that is beyond our understanding. so we have to take that on as 
an expert's teaching about how for how it all works. You notice I didn't use the word faith yeah. on purpose because we misunderstand faith. We think faith means making ourselves believe something. No, why would we do that? Let's deal with reality, right? I don't have any love. I don't have any devotion. I don't give a shit about anything. My heart's closed. I can't feel anything, but I'm going to do this anyway, God damn it. You know, and you do it because we have to plant the seeds and little by little, the real thing manifests from within by itself. Like uh, our friend before said, he had this, he'd been singing this over and over. And finally, one day he sang and he went, oh, it's like that. It comes from within when you're ready. But we can ripen our, we can help to ripen ourselves by turning towards that place through the practices that we do. Yeah, it, it, it also, whatever he felt, I also feel many times. And sometimes at the, some different line, sometime at different line. Ah. Oh my God, my God. Oh. Yeah. 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 It's like the, the, the curtain is parted for yeah. a minute. Yeah. And we see something. Yeah. We don't part the curtain. We don't do that. We just buy the ticket to the show and we're sitting in the audience. And then it's him who opens the curtain when the show starts and he'll close it again. Just like Punky Bihari and Brindavan. You know, you go yeah. and the curtains close and they go, ah, and then they close again, you know, and give you darshan like that. So, Bariya, Tihe. Very good. Nice to meet you again. Take good care. Thank you. Namaste, Ram Ram. Namaste, Ram Ram. Namaste. Uh, we're in Montana. Oh, my. We got to see you um, when you came to Bozeman. Oh, right. Yeah, that was fun. I loved it. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, so I just... There wasn't questions a while ago. I guess there are, but mine is pretty short, I think. Um, but in the spirit of... Uh, Nav- Sounds like the doggy had something to say there. Navratri? Nav- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that correctly. Um, did Maharaji ever... Do you recall him ever talking about Kali Ma? No, not... not you remember? He or? didn't talk a lot about stuff, but one funny thing he said about Kali was that they asked him why he built, you know, he built a new temple to Durga. Yeah. In that, yeah. And the form of Durga that is represented in the temple is Vaishnavi Devi, the Shakti of Vishnu. Whereas Kali is one of the aspects of the Shakti of Shiva, I think. At least it's more on that side. Yes. And so. in India, Kali is worshipped many times with sacrifices. Goats, animals, oh, okay. stuff like that. So when they, somebody said why he why he bought why he built the temple to Vaishnavi Devi Vindhyavasini Durga Devi, he said if I had built the Kali temple, these miserable villagers would be dragging their goats in and slaughtering them in the courtyard. Oh. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he he didn't want that. Uh, so that that's one thing. But other than that, you know, whenever we said like one time, uh, somebody quoted Ramakrishna the Maharaji Maharaji went. I don't follow Ramakrishna. I follow Christ. And we were like, what? You know, what are right. you? Right. Didn't 
didn't Ramakrishna believe he was an incarnation of Kali or an Asian? I don't know what he believed. He was he was worshipped as a realized being who he achieved the grace of Kali and he and that was who he worshipped, Bhavatarani, the form of Kali that means take me taking me across the ocean of existence. Uh, oh. that form of, of Kali. And he worshipped her and, and uh, had visions and all kinds of extraordinary experiences, you know, in he worshipped the form and the formless. He worshiped he first he achieved Siddhi or perfection in the worship of the form. And then his he did another type of sadhana, which was beyond concepts and forms. So they considered him to be a type of incarnation also in many ways. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Hope you're well. Hello, Hello. hi. Namaste. I am so I am so grateful to you. Why? Because I am so lucky that you are a direct devotee of Baba, Baba Hanuman. So I'm very happy that I'm speaking to you. Thank and you. I was, uh, yeah, I, I was lewd to you, I think about uh, two weeks back. I came to your bhajans and everything in YouTube. I saw everything in YouTube. And I was amazed. I was really amazed with your devotion. Because I am also a devotee just like you. Bhakti part. Yeah, Bhakti part. And also jnana and also karma. Uh, very We're, difficult life. Yeah, very yeah. difficult life. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I want I wanted liberation. Really? From what? Yeah. To what? Yeah. From life, from uh, mind, from prison of mind. Oh yeah, and, that's uh, one thing. No, and no rebirth. And what? No what? Rebirth. No birth. Oh. No why not? birth. No, no, no. I'm terrorized. Uh, no, you're not. That's not going to happen. No, but I'm terrorized. Yeah, I'm not going to come well, then, here again. I have been. Why not? I have been. It's the fear you have now that's terrorizing you. It's not yeah, the fear of the fear. future. No, it's because now. I don't want to come into the prison of mind. I don't want to come. Then leave it. You know, but you, if you don't leave it now, it'll still be there later. Now is the time to leave it, not later. Leave so, means what? Leave. Leave the prison of the mind. And yeah, for yeah, that, right. you must, I, must. I just wanted to thank you. You know what happened? Uh, I was watching your chai and chat. And yeah. in one, one chai and chat, I was very pained. Actually, two days ago, I was traumatized. And uh, in the inside the mind, something was going on very disturbing. So then I, I saw your chai and chat. And in that one, you are telling some people that uh, you are the most important person who needs compassion. Mm. You are the first first person who needs compassion. Mm -hmm. And that word worked like magic in me. I don't know, by grace, Baba Hanuman. It worked. It really worked. And then suddenly I was able to see what was happening to me, what was going into my mind. Again, again, repeated stories. So I am torturing myself. Yeah. So... So I need compassion, you know. I should, then I started watching my mind. Uh, okay, that means I am I am torturing myself. Outsiders are not are not pain. They are not pain. I am repeating some stories, some very bad things that happened to me. All those mm -hmm. things I'm repeated again, again, again. The mind and I am suffering. Who is suffering? Otherwise, nobody else. 
No, yeah. Nobody outside is suffering. Only I am suffering. Uh-huh. So then suddenly all, all these days it was there, but I got this light two days back. Wonderful. With your words. Yeah, with your words. Very good. Thank you. It was actually, I was actually quoting Buddha. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Buddha said, if you search the whole world, you can never find anyone more deserving of compassion and love than yourself. My God. That word, after so many years of suffering, it worked two days back when I heard you. Uh So I'm very thankful to you. And most of all, I'm very lucky. I feel very lucky because you are direct devotee of Baba Hanuman. And so I feel very, very happy, you know, because I, I see that he has sent you to me. That's his blessing. Yeah. So wonderful. I just wanted to yeah, offer gratitudes to you and lovely stories and whatever you say again and again, I told you, it is, uh, it's always new. Whatever you say is always new. That's good because I only know three or four things. So I say them over and over again. But it's so beautiful. Like, you know, the epics, you see how many times you hear it. It looks very new. Yeah. So like good. the epics, your, your talks are like epics. So that means that is the power, power in you, uh, not as an individual, but it's, it's God's power. So I'm very happy. I, I could talk to you. I, offer, I wanted to offer thanks to you. Uh, the two days back, whatever happened to me, it is continuing and I have slowed down my mind. I have slowed down my mind. Now I know that I am torturing myself. Yeah. So I'm going to let go of everything. And all from, from all sickness, I have to uh, get well. Get well. And, okay. You know, but but my, my, my aim is not to come back here in, in this world in another body. Like, like Adi Shankara said, right? Ah, one, can I just say one thing? Let me say one yeah, thing. Yeah. No. Forget about your aims not to come back. Make your aim to be here as best you can fully. Okay? okay? Right here where you are now. Okay. Yeah. That should be your aim. And then okay. if there is a later, where will you be? Here. Okay. So yeah. don't okay. worry about the future. That you're, you're, it's not the future that's eating you up. It's your mind right now. Yeah, not right the now future. It's my mind. Yeah, Those are just thoughts, right? Those are just thoughts. So it's now you want to be here. So that's very good. Very happy to hear you have that blessing from Maharaj. Thank you. So Wonderful. I'm, uh, I'm very happy with your words. I think whatever you said just now, it will work also for me. I'll stop thinking <laughs> about the uh, future. Yeah. Yeah. So what this mind, yeah. mind torture, I should come out of mind torture, then maybe everything yeah. will be clear. Yeah. Just be here, repeat the name. Okay. And when you notice you're thinking about those things, come back to the name. Don't okay. try to kill the thoughts. You can't stop the thoughts. But if you, the least, the less attention you pay, yeah. they float away. So just yes, keep okay. coming back to the name, okay? You have to repeat yeah, yeah. the name. That's the deal. You have to do yeah, that. Yeah, I'm doing that. I'm doing that. Very good. Okay. And, uh, and you yeah. can do it all day, no matter no matter what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, all day. Do all day I'm doing it. And uh, 24 by 7 for past 20 years, I've been doing uh, doing something or the other connected Excellent. to God. But then I think I had to experience certain things. Mm-hmm. Experience. So that is why it dragged so long. But I think I'm nearing home. So home I'm is where you happy. are. Good. No, the at least I'll not let myself with the mind. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm not go round and round with mind. You know, stop. I stop at yeah. least no watching, and I forgive myself for everything. Even if the mind goes away uh, when I'm chanting, I forgive yeah. myself and come back. Come back at it. Absolutely. Kind to myself. First Very time good. I'm knowing what is loving yourself. What loving myself is what I didn't know. It was very mm. frustrating, you know. All the saints and sages were telling, "Love yourself, love yourself," and mm. I didn't know what was love myself. But now today, two days back, from your words, I came to know what is loving myself. Okay. Thank you. Now, thank you so much. Thank you very much. All right, yeah. Ram Ram. Anything Ram, you want Ram, to tell Ram, me? Ne ne kuch ne. Be well. Thank All blessings, you. Ram Ram. Hi. Hello. Um, I think my question is about how do you how do you deal with um, shame, and and maybe if it's related, how do you cultivate humility? Shame, 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 shame. Yeah, shame is a great way of beating ourselves up, isn't it? Everybody's done things that. Uh, they're really not proud of, to say the least. Everybody, that's we're all humans. We're all in the same boat, you know. Everybody's been selfish, been nasty, been stupid, been hurtful, been angry, been vicious. Uh, and many times, in spite of ourselves, we've done things that have hurt people and, and we've been hurt. And there's also shame in that too, that we've been victimized by other people's anger and selfishness and viciousness so you know it's life everybody's in the same boat we all share a very narrow bandwidth and in that bandwidth it's just full of these things shame guilt fear anger selfishness all that stuff is in there and uh, that's part of being human the other part of being human is uh, training ourselves to let go of that stuff. Now, letting go is not pushing away. And letting go doesn't necessarily mean understanding where the feelings come from. The letting go part is right here, right now, releasing the thought and the feeling or noticing the feeling like you might be you might notice that you're you're you've got this mind thing going around all about shame let's say right so noticing it is different than being totally in it already that doesn't mean it goes away right away so i i think uh, i think you need to we need a a, a as Westerners with uh, rational minds so active and emotions so charged, I think we need a combination of things, of weapons, so to speak, to deal with our the stuff that's torturing us, you know. But the bottom line, I feel, in order to, the real strength to overcome the uh, oppressiveness of those negative emotions comes from practicing letting go. Now, just because you're practicing letting go doesn't mean that 
in those moments, you're going to be able to let go. That's not, uh, uh, that's probably not going to happen at that moment. But you're planting seeds of not being totally stuck in that feeling, mm -hmm. right? So you have this feeling you're dealing with, whatever it is. Let's say it's shame, let's fear also, uh, self-loathing, all these heavy clouds that engulf us sometimes. We can be in the cloud. We can be feeling the cloud, but we can also, in that moment, we can also be doing our mantra or our, our watching our breath and being aware that we're in the cloud. And that different than being asleep in the cloud. Right. It doesn't mean the cloud's gonna disperse and the sun's gonna come out right away. And that we'll never have another cloud like that again. And it'll always be a beautiful sunny day now. But it's very hard for us to realize what a big thing it is to really just notice the intensity of the feeling. Okay, that's a big thing. That's a really big thing. It's almost like when you're eating, uh, are you vegan? No, but maybe I should be. <laughs> no, no, you don't have to be. I'm just gonna tell which type of ice cream to eat. If you're eating like a real fantastic, like banana split fudge sundae, right? Mm -hmm. And it's so good. You're just like throwing it in your mouth and then it's gone. You don't even remember what happened. But if you eat it and you notice you're eating, you taste it better. So mm -hmm. it's the same thing. When you're in that cloud of darkness, even though you're feeling it and it hurts, you're not trying to get rid of it. You're not running from it. You're not afraid of it. You're with it. Mm -hmm. You notice it's got you again, it's back, fuck. I never thought it would come back, here it is, I'm screwed, it'll always be like this. But it's not always like that, is it? No, it's not, what? and I'm, I'm wondering if what I'm, if I'm really feeling, you know, feelings of embarrassment or shame, or if mm -hmm. I'm feeling something about it, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. Rather than the thing uh, itself. Bottom line is, we have to do some practice. <laughs> and it, it's, it's from the practice that we're cultivating a kind of inner strength that, or let's even say an inner gravity that pulls us out of those feelings. It's not like we have to do it. It's like, you know, for instance, you might be feeling really really obsessing about something very painful, right? And then you walk out of the house and the sun is shining and you see somebody waves to you, you know, and where did it go? Mm -hmm. Okay, then it comes back when you're not busy with something else. And then something else happens and it disappears again. It's like I said earlier, mm -hmm. you're watching television, right? And then, and you're not aware of the cars on the street and the trucks and the motorcycles. And then you turn the TV off where was it when you were watching TV? So it's not that you understand the cars and motorcycles. It's just that you are not, your, your attention is not caught by them. So as we do practice, little by little, just like a minute, 
a thousand times a day, 10 times a day, whenever you think of it and you're in the right place, just sit down and release everything. It'll last maybe two seconds before everything comes back. And thank you, yeah. And is it okay to multitask <laughs> while you're, while you to practice? What? To multitask? Multitask. Uh, you have to sit, do you have to be still every time you practice? No, not at all. Uh, but if you're doing two or three different things at the same time, you're certainly not able to be as aware, totally aware of each thing as much as you would if you're doing one thing at a time. So it's okay. Every repetition of the name will bring fruit. Every single repetition, whether you do it with full devotion, whether you do it like, you know, just like barely paying attention, you're still planting a seed. How that seed is planted also has something to do with the results, right? Or the, the way that seed grows. So yeah, multitask. If that's where you're at, it doesn't matter. Uh, you don't need to judge the practice. Just bring it into whatever you're doing. Uh, I don't exactly know but what you mean by multitask. Some people watch TV while they work. Some people uh, drive and sing chants while they're driving. That's multitasking. And mm -hmm. But you're, you're, the idea is to keep a part of you turned towards that the practice. For instance, in India, they always use the... Uh, the example of a woman who's gone to get w water at the well with a big clay jug, right? She fills up the jug, she puts it on her head, and she and her friends start walking back to the village. And they're talking and laughing and joking and yelling to the kids not to get lost and everything. But they're always paying just enough attention that they don't drop the jug. So that's multitasking. Uh, so whatever you do, just do. But I think it would be a great little practice that whenever you remember during the day, and don't use it to beat yourself up with, but whenever you happen to have a little gap in the day and you go, oh, sit down for a minute, really 60 seconds, and just let everything go and feel your body, feel your breath, feel what being there feels like. And then the thoughts will start taking you away and then you're gone again. So good, go do. But start to get comfortable or get acquainted with what the feeling feels like when you just let go of everything. You won't be able to because you maybe have a minute or I mean really two seconds of absolute like, ah. Yeah. And then the thoughts will come back. But that's okay. Get used to what that ah feels like. Okay. And that will, that feeling and that, um, that action of letting go will continue to work inside of you all day long. So even when you're really lost in thought or getting eaten up by some negative feeling, don't, that, that will come back sooner than later where you, where you find yourself not quite as lost as you were. And then you, you start to feel more comfortable seeing the content of your shame or your fear or your guilt or your anger. 
and you become more uh, less identified with it so that you can start to actually understand it rationally a little bit. You can see who did what to whom and why and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and then you can start to detangle, disentangle yourself a little bit more. But that, that's what I mean by like a, a multi-faceted kind of work. But I think the real strength to let go ultimately comes from the practice that we do. Not that thinking about it and therapy and counseling, it can be very useful, really. And they don't necessarily look like they're working on the same, from the same angle, but they really are. So whatever you need to do and want to do to work on your stuff, you really should do because nobody's going to do it for you. Right. So you have to do it. So have courage, move forward and go, you know, really get into it and, and free yourself from this, from whatever's holding you back from being you in the way you want to be. You don't have to be like, we don't have to be at the mercy of this stuff always. We do, that's what the spiritual path is about. Allowing us to really manifest our true self, which really is love and compassion and joy. So I'd like some of that. <laughs> when you get it, will you give me a little bit? Send me some. I'll share. <laughs> Okay, okay, thank you so much. All right, you take care. Uh, namaste, Krishna Dasji. Namaste, namaste. Uh, uh, actually, I'll, I'll keep it brief. Uh, and uh, actually, um, so the thing is that I first uh, heard, uh, you know, anything by you back in 2011. I'm based in India. Um, and back in 2011, I first heard, and actually it was not a chant by you, it was this musical piece done by this gentleman called MC Yogi, and you were featuring in that song called Rock on Hanuman, and that's how I came across you. And uh, since then, uh, you know, initially I followed you just for the music, and, uh, and you know, during the good times, I have experienced ecstasy through your music, and during the difficult times, it's actually helped me move on. And like many people here, I'm really grateful to you. And, and, and you know, like, uh, I realized that, you know, me saying this is also, in a way, I'm just fulfilling my ego because at, at every second, thousands of people must be grateful to you. And I, and I don't really have to say it, but I don't know. It's just I'm indulging my ego when I say it. So I'll come directly to my question, sir. Um, I, um, you know, uh, so just just as there is interest, you know, in the West uh, regarding Eastern philosophy, I've also I've I've tried to you know like read a little bit about whatever I could come across about Western philosophy, and one of the many things that I've come across in this uh, is something called New Age religion, and one of the uh, concepts in that of law of attraction, wherein you know, you desire something, you think about it positively or as if it's fulfilled and it will come to you. Uh, but in, in my personal experience, what I feel is that once you have a desire uh, and if it's not fulfilled, that will invariably lead to dejection. And uh, and in your, uh, you know, chats, uh, in also the, you know, online satsang, what, I, what I've gathered is uh, the same concept and, and a way to overcome desire is through chanting, through this practice and bringing your mind back to the present moment. But I feel that sometimes, you know, when you let go of the desire, 
are you in a way turning away that experience which you know law of attraction in some way guarantees and you're just giving up because because you are scared of the dejection or uh, do you think that you know there is there's another way of looking at it um we should just concentrate on the practice and you know all of these things will just follow on their own we're human beings in human body desires are hungers that we have we need certain things in order to live we need to breathe we have a desire to breathe it's a function that we need that happens naturally we have a desire for food we need to eat we have a desire for sex it's natural to the human body we have desires for all kinds of things uh if you're a renunciate if you've taken vows of brahmacharya and vows of types of forsaking certain types of engagements with samsara uh you uh you can follow those those programs however being in the world uh i think one needs to um you know maharaji never criticized me or anybody else for having desire when what one of the things that happened is in this group of westerners around him there was a lot of energy there were women and men every you know and different couples would kind of get together you know and maharaji would look at them and say oh you're friends that's good you're friends they're friends that's good and then a couple of days later he said oh you're good friends oh okay good friends then a couple of days later he said you're married go to america he he didn't judge them for getting it on uh there was no judgment you know these great saints how did they get there they've done everything in millions of lifetimes they've already done all this shit and they're through with it they haven't pushed it away they just seen through it now we have fear of our desires because it's not only fear of what you call dejection or the suffering that comes when you don't get what you want but we have fear of being lost in the desire we just have fear of opening we have all kinds of fears uh it's up to each one of us to figure out what works for us i can't tell you what to do i can't even tell myself what to do but uh maharaji sent me back to america because he said i had attachment there and i didn't know what he was talking about 50 years later i see my life and everything that's happened to me is what he was talking about everything all this was in there like a, just like a tiny little seed has a huge tree the little seeds in us have this huge potentials for for all this stuff you can't avoid that stuff if you try to crush it you suffer and if you get too busy with it you suffer so it's a way of you just have to try to figure out what works for you how how to get through the day in the best way you can um mr tiwari my indian father my who was my greatest friend in the world he was his parents died when he was young he was raised by an aunt who died again when died when he was also young and then he was raised by some other relatives and he vowed never to marry never to get involved with that level of samsara mm-hmm. and he was doing fierce practices i mean tying himself up 
and breathing exercises and fasting and pujas. I mean, it would have killed a normal human being, but he was not. And Maharaji made him get married. And he said to me one day, he said, you know, I didn't go into Samadhi for the first time until after I was married. <laughs> so you have to be you, man, whatever it is. And if you're afraid of that, then you have to figure out what that is. What is that fear? Is it real? Or is it just a way that you're hurting yourself and in your, holding uh, yourself back? Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, so in, in your opinion, do you think it's all right to uh, to be chanting with expectation of a boon or uh, or with some desire in mind? Or do you think that chanting should be kept separate from, you know, what we are looking for otherwise in on, on a mortal plane? Chanting is a ripening practice. It will allow whatever's within you to come forth. If you need to have those desires fulfilled, they will come to you. If they're not going to be helpful to you, let's hope they don't come to you. Uh, you do what you can. You can't pretend you, you know, you just do repeat the name the best you can. Just give it as much attention as you can. If you're thinking about, oh God, let me find, you know, even in the Argala Stotra, which is the first prayer done in the, in the Devi Puja, Durga Puja, the last line is, oh goddess, give me a wife like you who will take me across the ocean of birth and death. Right. That's what it says. Oh goddess, give me a wife like you, you know? So that's not a bad prayer, but still you're asking for something. You do what you can. If that's what you want, fine. The secret is of course, that whatever you want, it's not gonna be what you think it is when you get it. Right. What you really, think you want is your your image that you're seeing that you're putting on somebody so you see the most beautiful woman in the world you want her you bet and finally she agrees to be with you and then you see you know she can't cook you know <laughs> and she's she's she she's you know she doesn't want this and she wants that she's hard to be with she's selfish then you find the other stuff that's and that's what she thinks about you too. She thinks you're like God on earth. And then he sees you don't, you know, you, you piss all over the floor. You know, can't even piss in the toilet. She has to clean it up. You know, all you do, you expect her to do all the work in the house. She's like, mm -hmm. what is this? What did I get into? This is what life is. So that's why we try to have a little humility in terms of the things we want, because it's never what you think it's going to be but you have to be prepared to deal with it. If you're gonna, if you're gonna get into it, then you have to deal with it. It's not pick and choose after that. If you make a commitment to something, you have to deal with it the best you can. Whatever that means to you, nobody knows what that is. You have to do the best you can with it. It's, we can't be free of desire. And even so, our desire ultimately is to be really happy but we have bad aim. We think it's gonna come from the outside. You can't, that's just the way we've been brought up. There's no way you can just say, I won't do that. That's mm -hmm. bullshit. There's no way you cannot do it. So you try to have some, to go easy on yourself about everything and do the best you can 
and recognize that we're all in this world, we're all in samsara, let's just do the best we can and try to be kind to others and ourselves and live in the best way we can. Whatever happens, however it manifests, it doesn't matter. Whatever is in there is gonna come out one way or the other. If you avoid things, if you push them away, you're putting yourself under so much pressure, it's gonna come around and hit you on the back of the head for, in another direction. So you have to be honest with yourself about what you want. Well, you don't have to be, but you know, you could be if you wanted to. Yeah. Thank you. I know how you feel. <laughs> don't invite me to the wedding. I won't come. <laughs> oh. My question is, you were talking earlier about how the guru chooses a name for you based on the fact that they know your karmas and they know they know what's best and they maybe it, i can't say what the guru does or how or why okay but that was an idea i had okay so i guess my question is what do you make of the fact that maharaji said you're bajrang bali and you got in a little fight with him and uh, about it and and you did not accept that name that your your actual guru was giving you well, that's a good question thank you uh, i never i never really thought about it um, he is Hanuman, and so being the humble disciple, devotee that I am, very humble, of course, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I said, I can't be that. You're that. I can't be that. You can't, you can't do that. I won't accept it <laughs> anymore. He said, again, you're a Bajrangbali. And I said, no, I'm not, you know. And besides that, Bajrangbali was celibate, and you just told me you wanted me to get married. So where's that at? And then I said to him, you know, Bajrangbali was the eternal celibate. He never married. He never got it on. And Maharaji laughed like it was the funniest thing he had ever heard in his life. It's like he knew something that we didn't know. And he just said, okay, wise guy, you're Janaka. You'll have yoga, union with God, and bhog, union with pleasure. So uh, all the pleasures and all the joys. Um. I never thought about it because it was just play. You know, I just saw it as play. Uh, he did continue to call me Bajrangbali quite a bit. Had me wear all red and like Hanuman. And uh, all I can say is maybe someday, maybe he was telling me what who I was gonna be in 400 million lifetimes from now. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Hello. Uh, more, I think what others have, and I'll keep this brief, I know we're over, but what others have expressed, just I wanted to express my gratitude. Um, I came to know you and your voice through yoga practice in the late 90s. Um, and I feel like, you know, had I not felt that love early in my 20s, I just... I hate to think about what my life would have been like without sort of having that foundation. So just hugely appreciative and, and it set forth sort of a, you know, a chain of events going to Gropalo, meeting Nina, um, uh, Sharon Salzberg, loving kindness, just my whole life started with you and a, and a yoga class 
20 plus years ago. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Namaste. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I always come to these thinking I don't have any questions and then you answer them and then people ask questions I didn't <laughs> even know that I had. So thank you to everyone who asked such thoughtful questions and, um, and yeah, so thank you. Really grateful. Very good. Thank you. Greetings uh, to everyone. Thanks for all the questions and things. Uh, like the last speaker, I also got answers to questions I didn't even know I had. My question today, I think I've already heard the answer to, which is practice, practice, practice. But um, for Navatri, I set a, um, a, a goal for myself that I wanted to learn Madurga and Sri Argala Stotram. And um, what I've been doing is I, I spend a couple of minutes looking at the meaning of the words, and then I chant along with your CDs. And um, I'm having a hard time learning it by heart, because as I'm chanting, I kind of get lost in the chant. And the next thing I know, it's, you know, it's over. <laughs> and, and I go back and do it again. And then I walk away after a half an hour of practice. And uh, five minutes later, I'm like, wait, how did that go again? So I was wondering when you were first learning the chants, um, do you have any hints for what's a good way to learn by heart? You don't have to learn by heart. You know, why are you doing that to yourself? Wouldn't you rather feel it than learn it? So you have something a lot of people don't have. I would enjoy that and not beat yourself up and not having what you think you want. <laughs> mm. Mm. It'll come or not. Just keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's frustrating because I can hear a song once and play it back, but uh, lyrics and words are much more difficult for me to memorize. Always has been. Yeah, well, it's not required to memorize. Where does it say you have to memorize it? Nowhere. You're just setting a goal for yourself that's actually taking you out of the moment. What's the sense of memorizing in your rational mind when you don't feel it? Mm. Go right to the feeling. That's why I don't I don't know much about all these all the deities. I can't tell you what this deity represents, how this deity is worshipped, what this deity means, what, sh what this she or he looked like, because I don't, I, I never, I, I sing and I feel. That's all I care to do in this life. I don't know what else there is to do for me. This is it. I sing and I feel, and I don't worry about it. Some things, sometimes, some of these long prayers, I, when I just wrote them out, I basically had them already half memorized it just happened as if i had known it already but that it's not that i tried to learn it i didn't it took me years to 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 really know the hanuman chalisa without reading it uh so what you know what so fail me kick me out of high school i don't care wouldn't be the first time <laughs> okay thank you thank you you're welcome so I'm hoping this will come out clear and I'm, I'm afraid I'm, I'm an essential worker so I'm, I'm pretty exhausted because I've, I've worked like 14, 16 hours a day with COVID trauma, medical, anyways, a lot of people, a lot of suffering. Wow. Uh, I've been, uh, someone took me, I took refuge with uh, Dujar Rinpoche. I don't know if you know who that is. I do. When I was I five, actually, he asked me to take refuge with him. Wow. So, 
Fantastic. So, I, yeah. So I have this great karma. This is part of my question, um, sort of, that I, for some reason, I've been around the Dalai Lama, many lamas, the youngest Western person to be asked to take refuge. My dad was a film producer and he was went to India, brought him back with some other people, Richard Gere and other people. And he was in New York and my dad, I was raised by him my grandfather rabbi. And so he, my dad left me in the living room and Jim said, why is she in the living room? Why, why did you leave? And he said, oh, she's Jewish. You know, she's, her grandfather's already training her in ancient Hebrew for her bat mitzvah. Like, you know, it's a, it's a lineage like yours. And he said, oh, Jewish, Jewish. Huh? I like to meet her. Could you please bring her in? And then meanwhile, this is his, so my dad went from being like a big Hollywood producer. You were the driver. He was the cook. They said, you're yeah, the yeah. cook. And he said, you're the cook. I want to meet your daughter. Please bring her in. So he brought Beautiful. me in. So I hear you're you're Jewish. And I said, yes, I'm Jewish. So I speak Hebrew. I I chant in Hebrew. And he said, oh, do you like it? I said, oh, I love it. I love it. And he said, and your grandfather's a rabbi. I said, yes, he's a mystic rabbi. We go back thir- to 13th century mystic rabbis. And wonderful, wow. wonderful. And he said, would you, would you? And I realized, because I've been listening to you thinking, oh, I, I, first time someone brought me to hear you in LA, I, was, I, I don't know who this guy is. What is it? It's not yoga. What is it? And then I just heard you and I thought, I just was like, wow, I felt an instant connection. And I was in the middle of doing my nundro practice, which, you know, doesn't take three weeks. It takes three years. At right? least, yeah. Right. Yeah. At least in a yeah. cave. And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was in my maybe 20s, 30s. Wow. So my question was, so I, I've been taking two of your classes and there is no conflict. I went back to my grandma. So anyways, Dujan Rinpoche ended up saying, I would like to give you a blessing. Is that, would you like that? And I said, oh yes, my grandfather gives me blessings every Friday night. I, I like blessings. So you bless <laughs> me. And then he said, I'd like to give you a name. Would you like to have a Tibetan name? You, you uh-huh. have a Tibetan name. And I said, well, I already have a Jewish name. You know, I'm Hana. And he said, okay, but you're also Konchoksoma. You're a wise woman of three lakes. The wise woman, uh, three, jewels of three lakes, which is the crown. Oh, and yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. but I'm six years old. I'm not a wise woman. And he said, he <laughs> laughed. I said, I'm Jewish. And he said, I know your father told me, your father told me, but it's this is important. Would you like to wow. learn a, a simple mantra? And I said, Okay, but I, I chant in Hebrew. Do you want me to teach you a simple chant in Hebrew? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so he taught me all money, Pedmihung, and then I said, oh, I can do that. And then he said, you know, it goes with, um, I can, t- that's all you have to do for your age, just all money, Pedmihung. And then he taught me a hundred, you know, some other mantras. And I pick, yeah. I pick up languages very quickly. So I said, I got them. And then he said, would you like to know how to do, you know, a full uh, prostration. I said, mm. I don't know what that is, but sure. So he taught me and he wow. said, when you go home, if you, if you want to say this mantra and he gave me Pecha, his original, his Pecha from his, wow. which I think I've lost, but anyways, um, oh. I came home and I said, grandpa, I went to Shabbat and I said, grandpa, I, so I took refuge. I'm, I guess I'm a Buddhist and I'm Jewish because I, I have this red string. This is like my fifth and, and I have a Tibetan name and is it okay? Cause he said, it's okay. And he said, oh yes, it's totally okay. No conflict. 
because he was also enlightened. He said, beautiful. But if you took vows, which I did, you now are taking, you've taken Jewish vows and you've taken Tibetan vows and there's no conflict, but you did he teach you a mantra? I said, yes. He said, you must say it every day. Wow. And he said, you say, you you know, you say your Hebrew prayers and you say your mantra. And he said, anything else he taught you, you do it every day the same way. You must do both now because you've, you know, at 12, you're going to do your bat mitzvah. You've, you're seven and you've taken six, seven, you've taken these vows. So you have to do it. Jesus. That's amazing. It's amazing. Well, they were both, they were both enlightened beings. So it was, was, there's no problem. Anyways, my question is, I was curious about when you came into Tibetan Buddhism and, and just, if you took any vows, if you do any practice or what your relationship is to Buddhism. Well, because I'm uh, not practicing uh, my Hebrew prayers. I, I'm not practicing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, I, it just, when I sing in Hebrew and ancient Hebrew, it, I feel incredible. Buddha. Just one. <laughs> And I yeah. go into Orthodox temples and they're like, who is this girl? And I just, I just know the Torah because my grandfather taught it to me. Wow. That's so just, great. The Torah just comes out of me and it's, and I feel like a deep connection now since with you, since I've met you and these, I feel a little awkward with like some of the words like Krishna. I'm like, but then I also know like there's something deep, there's a deep spiritual, there's a connection here. So I wanted to hear anyways, that's, uh one day i was sitting with maharaji and he reached and pulled out my one of my notebooks where i had written all these prayers and you know all the dharma quotes and stuff that i was collecting <laughs> and he leaps leaps through the book and he stops at this one page and says what's this and i looked and i went oh shit <laughs> it was the song the song of mahamudra and i said it's buddhist like this you know i was buddhist so, oh, so translate. So I said, I couldn't, but there was an Indian guy there. So he translated. I had written in English. Trans, Maharaj, he did a few verses. Maharaj goes, Teak, you know, correct, beautiful. I went, what? And then he kept going through my book and came across a little picture of himself. He pulls out and said, Who's that? And I said, Maharaj, it's you. He's good. Night, Buddha. Uh, yeah. So some years later, Dr. Larry Brilliant, who was. Have you read this book, Sometimes Brilliant? Fantastic no. book. Okay. It's oh, the story oh. of the eradication of smallpox in India. Oh, which wow. Maharaj, Maharaji did that. So okay. it's a great story. So anyhow, so Larry was, they had just inoculated all of India, all of Bhutan, all of Sikkim, mm-hmm. and they were now going back through all the villages to check for, uh, to check for any cases that arose in the last year. And there mm-hmm. were no cases. And they were in, I think, Sikkim at the 16th Karmapa's temple, and they were mm. with His Holiness. Mm. And so Karmapa asked them what, what their spiritual thing is, you know, what do they do? And we never knew what to say because Maharaji never, you know, mm. there was nothing to join. There was no, you know, it was mm. just like, you know. Yeah. So all, so he took out a little picture of Maharaji and he gave it to the Karmapa. And the Karmapa looks at him and he says, oh, he said, Bodhisattva. Yeah. Points of Bodhisattva, Bodhisattva. He said, the teachings of all Bodhisattvas are the same, mm. even if they appear, even if they appear different. Mm. Then he pointed to his altar. You see those statues on the altar of the Mahasiddhas? Mm-hmm. He said, Mahasiddhas, Mahasiddha. Mm. Mm. 
So, and then a couple of days later, he said to Larry and Geary John's wife, he said, would you like to take refuge? And they said, sure. So, uh, puja was arranged up on the roof of the temple. And then just before the, the ceremony was gonna start, Larry got nervous and he said to the, the Karmapa, he said, your holiness, do I have to give up my guru to take refuge mm. with you? And the Karmapa mm. said, no. no. He mm. said, I'm going to give you refuge in your guru, the same mm. way I give refuge in the Buddha. I'm going to give you refuge in your, in your, uh, 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 forget what he said, the same way I give refuge in the Dharma. I'm mm -hmm. going to give you refuge in your satsang, in your, the same mm -hmm. way I give refuge in the Sangha. Mm -hmm. He said that. Mm -hmm. So, you know. Yeah. And so many of us who with Maharaji have taken teachings. And my, one of my dearest friends, Annapurna, was one of, Dujan Rinpoche's disciples here in America. Mm -hmm. And she was with Maharaji for, you know, with us in India. She died from as complications of asthma sitting on her pillow. Wow, wow. You know, she was, and she was, you know, so uh, these guys, they're yeah. hanging out together, you know. Oh, yeah, totally. the, the, the differences are only in our heads. They, they have no problem with these things, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, according to our many births, we've been involved in different lineages over time, and they manifest in the world in different ways. Uh, there's, and Maharaji, there was this Lama Norla, who was a disciple mm -hmm. of Kalu Rinpoche, who lived one hour from I, here. I studied he with had, Rinpoche. Yeah, 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 I met him too at Lama Norla's in Wappinger's yeah. Falls. Lama Norla was with Maharaji for two years, you know, mm -hmm. and he mm -hmm. said he was the greatest, he was the greatest Siddha in the Himalayas. Mm -hmm. So there's never been a difference for me. It's never been a problem. Everything yeah. just reinforces all the other things, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're so, that's so mm -hmm. wonderful. You have those blessings. That's incredible. It's just like he recommended you from a previous birth. He was six years mm -hmm. old. He said, oh, she's back. You know, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it felt very natural. And I, he gave me this huge, or someone gave me, said, oh, oh, suddenly they're like, oh, okay, you know, give her everything. Give her, you know, give her a mala, give her, I had Pecha. They gave me a huge poster of him. So I put it up on my wall. And my mother said, I don't think this is okay. We have to check with grandpa, with your grandpa. <laughs> you know, you that's, come from a that's long mother's lineage. job, yeah. But my yeah. grandpa was like, and actually, I'm just Tulkutundup, who's my neighbor and my dear friend. Oh, yeah, I know him. I met him many years ago. Yeah, yeah, who lives upstairs, who's wonderful. Oh, um, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. Um, Amazing. Uh, I, gave, I, I just found a book that I, my grandfather said, if, if you're going to, you know, you need to know the whole history of who the Buddha was, where he came from, what his lineage was, which lineage mm. did you take refuges? And I said, oh, that's Ningmapa. And he looked it up and he said, oh, that's one of the hardest ones. You're going to have to do a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. So happy. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you. You made my day. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. Mm. Take care. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. Oh, did you read, there's a great book on the Baal Shem Tov. I don't know if you've ever seen it oh. by Buxbaum. No, I don't know Buxbaum. that one. Of course I know who the Baal Shem Tov is. Yeah, no, it's called The Light and Fire of the Baal Shem Tov. Thank okay, you. wonderful. Nice to meet you. Yeah, Thank wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah. Take good care.
Beautiful. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for helping me out by allowing me to uh, see what comes out of my mouth. <laughs> Very good. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by the Kirtan Mala Foundation. Krishnadas is renowned for leading Kirtan, the spiritual practice of chanting, and workshops around the world. For more information about him, including upcoming events, please visit krishnadas.com, K-R-I-S-H-N-A-D-A-S.com. We also invite you to visit kirtanwalafoundation.org, K-I-R-T-A-N-W-A-L-L-A-H foundation.org. Here you will find more offerings dedicated to spreading the teachings of Neem Karoli Baba. Love everyone, serve everyone. Remember God. Ram Ram.